The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. I'm so glad we have opportunity now to share in the teaching of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we find ourselves this morning as we conclude another study, an expositional study through one of the books of the Bible this morning as we complete Paul's epistle, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And it ends that way. It ends clearly as a letter, as Paul has some final instructions, final things that he wants to share with the church at Corinth as he shares those with us today. I'm just going to read the very end of the letter Uh, verses 21 through 24. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we ask now as we take up your holy word that you would speak to us. We trust you. We look to you. We know that your word does not return void. So as it goes forth this morning throughout the internet, around this community and to the uttermost parts of the earth with those who are gathered in places far from here, Lord, we pray that you would use your word to encourage the saints and to propel us forward to be your people. Speak to those, Lord, who gather and hear who have no hope. Grant them hope today. Lord, lead us. Lead us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the main idea of chapter 16, that Paul's final instructions to the Corinthians remind us of the necessity of standing firm together as the body of Christ. Paul's final instructions here speak to us where we are today, literally today. The past six weeks have revealed a a lot of things. They've revealed a lot of things about us as a world. They've revealed a lot of things about us culturally. But it's revealed a lot of things about us personally. And if you have taken this opportunity at all, to reflect, one of the things that you have thought about is what is really necessary? What's really necessary in my life? What is really necessary for us as a church? What's really necessary for us culturally? So Paul's focus here are on some basic necessities. Not that he hasn't dealt with those in the other 15 chapters, but as he comes here to bring a summary, he, he summarizes around four basic essential things. So let's work through these. First, the necessity of standing firm as the body of Christ in generosity. He says, now concerning the collection of the saints as I directed the churches in Galatia, so also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there be no collecting when I come. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. 
Now, there are several things I just want us to see here. First, that this is a shared teaching. It's not just to the Corinthians. It's what he's taught to other churches. He particularly focuses on the church at Galatia. That what he's talking about here is a generosity that's based on need. This collection is very particular. It was for the suffering saints in Jerusalem due to famine. So here's what you have. You have Paul admonishing a Gentile background group of believers to support a Jewish background group of believers. This is a a, a picture of the gospel as they are to love and care for one another and particularly to care for those saints who are in the moment of greatest need. Now, how are they to do this? It's to be planned and systematic, that they are to do it on the first day of the week, and that their planning is to be according to the provision that God has provided in their life. Now, you got to think first century for a moment. People didn't have salaries like we do now. They earned their living on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. So some weeks people made more money than others. Some of you still work that way. And for some of us, we have seen that very clearly here over the last six weeks. But as, as they prospered in their life, as, as money came in, as resources came in, they were to set aside a portion of that. Now, what Paul's not saying, he's not saying to the church at Corinth, everybody give the same thing. He's saying everybody is to give according to how they have prospered. And they are to do this in a planned and careful manner, even down to the way this money is distributed. That it's to be trusted to people that the Corinthian church trusts in order to deliver this gift to Jerusalem. And Paul says he may even accompany this giving. Now, I just want to say personally to Parkwood right now, I want to commend you for your consistency to continue to be generous to the needs of the church and to the needs of one another. And I want to encourage you to continue to be planned and systematic in how you are giving. Now, let me be very particular. One of the things we have is a crisis assistance fund. Now, this giving, uh, people have, many people have been giving to it Uh, in addition to their regular tithes and offerings now for for several weeks. And that's going to become more and more essential as to what we're hearing and learning and understanding of what's coming economically for us as a nation and as a local community. In Acts 20.35, it says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let me pastorally press into some of you for a moment. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Um, I don't know how much the fund is, but I know that Parkwood has been very generous to set aside money for crisis fund. But here's what we're already receiving from some of you who have lost your work, or your work has slowed down as you've been approached and asked, how can we help? Your response is, I'm okay. Now, let me lovingly say to those of you who are still working and those of you who are not, and for some of us that may end up not working in the near future, in order for the blessing of giving to play out, there must be recipients. You must let the church be the church. Do not do without. 
Secondly, don't turn to the government first. The body of Christ is to be the people who come aside alongside each other that we give and receive. Now, let me ask this question. Instead of one, so what? We're going to ask it in each one. Are we relying on the gracious provision of God for generosity? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul, again, has taken up the subject of this, this giving to those in need. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, He distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now, how has God distributed freely and given to the poor? It's through us. He supplies seed to the sower, bread for food will supply, multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. This week I heard a story about a young couple in our congregation who have struggled. When they were provided for in some very specific ways, the first thought that they had is how could they give to support the work of the church and help others? That's an understanding of this text. That when God supplies, you in turn supply. Here's why. Our generosity is tightly tied to the next part of the letter. It is tightly tied to mission. That the necessity of standing firm of the body of Christ on mission. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend, underline that right there, I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even winter there, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if, and I'd underline this, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. So let's, let's just look at a few things here. I intend to pass through Macedonia. That's, that's the northern part of Greece. He intends to pass through there to come to them and to stay even for the winter. Now winter was a hard time to travel. So here what you see is Paul being a strategic planner and leader. He he, he has, a, has a plan and how he's leading this missionary effort, these fledgling new churches, that he plans to come to Corinth and, and to even spend the winter there. Now, that's what he intends to do. But he says, if the Lord permits. One, one author said it this way. Here's what you see is disciplined flexibility. Now, you know, I, I've heard some Christians who, who, who talk like they never plan anything. And, and they live under this idea that if the Lord wills means that I just moment to moment I'm trying to figure that out. Here's what you see. You see both in Paul. You see planned, disciplined planning, but you also see flexibility because at any time the Lord can send us in another direction. Verse 8. He says, I will stay in Ephesus till Pentecost. So I'm not leaving where I'm at right now. This would be modern day Turkey. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work is open to me. So Paul understood he had a sensitivity to the work of the Spirit that a door had flung wide open for the sake of the gospel. You see him praying this in his conclusion to the letter to the Colossians. Continually steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear as I ought to speak. 
That this open door is an open door to declare the gospel of Christ, to make Christ known. And the prayer is, is that we would make it clear. Then he says this in the last phrase of verse 9. There are many adversaries. And these adversaries are both seen and unseen. And the adversaries and the wide open doors often go hand in hand. If you, if you go over to the book of Acts and you read carefully, you see that in Acts chapter 19, while Paul is in Ephesus, which he's describing here in this letter, that he has a wide open door for the gospel. It says he continued there for two years, it's Acts 19.10, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. But if you go to the end of chapter 19, because the gospel was being so effective and people were embracing Christ, the people who made idols to the local God there in Ephesus were, were going broke because people stopped buying idols. So they incite a riot against Paul and against the followers of Christ. And you see adversity building up around the work of the gospel. These two things go hand in hand. Now, before we make some application, I want you to see two more things as he relates to adversity. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. And what's Paul mean here? He's saying, don't you be an adversary with Timothy. Now we know later when we read the Paul's letter to Timothy that he's a young man and he says, don't let anyone despise your youth. So you see here probably what was happening is that people were treating Timothy because he was young with contempt. And, and Paul's saying, don't you be an adversary. Don't you become an adversary to this young minister of the gospel. You treat him rightly. And then in verse 12, he says, now concerning our brother Apollos. Now we know earlier Apollos was greatly respected and people had created a false conflict between Paul and and Apollos, and you see that in chapters two and three. He says, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So here's what you see. You see a disagreement with Paul and Apollos. Is this the right time for Apollos to go visit the Corinthian believers? Now, we don't know why. And there could be a thousand reasons why Apollos says, I, I shouldn't go right now. Paul thinks he should. He leaves the door open. He's going to come and he has opportunity. Here's one of the things I have to think in, in terms of how you take the whole letter together, that Apollos does not want to create adversity through adding to the conflict that the Corinthians had already experienced. Because what's more important? Not that they like Apollos. What's more important is, is that the mission of the gospel continue. So here's my question. Are we relying on the gracious presence of God to stay on mission? Now in Acts chapter 18, you see how the gospel first came to Corinth. It says, verse 5, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. 
From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. How was he able to do this? Because of the presence of God in and through his work that God had given them. So let me say this clearly to myself and to you, my brothers and sisters. COVID-19 will not stop the spread of the gospel. It is an unseen adversary. And what is going on around us feels like and sometimes is adversity in as it seems to be holding things back. But we must see this unique opportunity and respond by trusting in the Lord and staying on mission as God's people. Now, this is what it's going to require. It's going to require courage. So you see next the necessity of standing firm as the body of Christ in courage. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now this, this admonition, fourfold admonition that Paul offers here is, is really kind of a crescendo moment in, in these final words. Be watchful, be alert. Now you need to be alert to two things as a follower of Christ. And, and let me just say, because of the influence and where we're all spending our time on devices like this, there are two things that we better watch, that we better be watchful for. That is temptation and bad theology. That's the two things Paul was watching out for. He was warning throughout the letter. And we better watch it because both of those things are swirling everywhere out on the internet and seeking to draw God's people in. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Now in chapter 15, verse 1, we know that that's to stand firm in the gospel, the gospel which you stand. We stand on the truth of God's word and the centerpiece of God's word, which is the gospel of Christ, that Christ died for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and raised on the third day and that according to the scripture. We stand there. Then he says, act like men. And is he addressing men here to act like men? Is he speaking to everybody when he says act like men? Act like men doesn't mean some kind of androgynous statement that everybody's supposed to act the same. It's, it's not a statement to elevate men. You've got to put it together with the next one. Act like men, be strong. Let's go to Joshua. If you go to Joshua, this makes more sense. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And when Paul wrote this, here was a common assumption that a man would be brave and courageous for his family and for his neighbor and for his country, that he would do something distinct. So Paul's saying that kind of mentality needs to be true of every Christian. We need to be courageous people. We need to be strong and courageous people. 
We're not to be people who are frightened, afraid, and we're not to be people who are dismayed. That means so given over to anxiety that we panic. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. So here's my question. Are we relying on the gracious provision of God for courage? Courage comes from the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. No kind of courage is it that we need right now from the Lord. Now, don't read into what I'm going to say next. Don't, don't make me say more than I say. But the courage that we're going to have to have today and into the foreseeable future is the courage to be the church. Now, listen very carefully. Very soon... We're going to have to make a courageous decision to gather together again. Now, first and foremost, what I mean is when the door opens for us to gather, you're going to have to overcome your fear of illness and gather with God's people. There is no foreseeable cure coming. And we're going to have to decide whether or not we're going to gather with others. Now, let me say this. We're not going to be able to gather the way we used to. I envision right now looking across this room, chairs spread out all over the place. There'll be some kind of unique way to do it. But some of you are going to have to have enough courage just to get out of your house. The second way that courage possibly may come is for us to have courage in face of our society and government. I fear some overreach has happened here. And some overreach is coming. And we're going to have to decide as God's people where loving our neighbor and being obedient to God, where those two things don't get confused. And that's going to require wisdom and that's going to require courage. Now, all three of these things must be applied moving forward. Power from the Holy Spirit. That's not dominance. Self-control wisdom, knowing when to do the right thing and when not to do something, and love. And this is how Paul ends. The necessity of standing firm as the body of Christ in love. He says, let all that you do be done in love. Courage without love can do damage. As followers of Christ, love is to be the motivating factor in our courage and in all that we do. Love and courage have got to come together in how we serve others. Now here's one of the places we see it. We see it in a lot of places. I'm just going to be very particular. We see courage among healthcare personnel who are putting their life on the line to care for the sickest among us. Now, that kind of courage and beyond that must be seen in us as believers. We are called to care for others and to love others. Now, Paul goes on and he mentions some people in particular who have displayed love through serving the saints and even Paul himself. Verse 15. 
Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts, literally the first fruits, in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. Now let's, let's, let's hold that be subject in tension with the rest of the book. In Corinth, the idea was culturally is that you are subject, you subordinate yourself to the powerful. Paul says, uh-uh. Here's who, you, here's who you subject to, the people who serve. That the servant leader, that's who you look to. And to every fellow worker and laborer. Verse 17. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius, because they have made up for your absence. <laughs> Paul missing these people. And just a few of them. Just seeing a few of them. He's able to make up for that absence. And he says, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. You give recognition to such people. You, you notice such people. Verse 19, the churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Presca, who they knew, it's a husband and wife, together with the church in their house. You see these people traveling with, with Paul. They were tent makers, but they were also missionaries. And wherever they go, they, they started a church in their house. They says they send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. So everybody on the mission team greets you. Then Paul gives them a distinction to each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I've heard people make fun of this text before. You know, we, we think we're superior people to this, that we don't kiss each other or whatever when we come together to the church. Here's what Paul means. Here's what Paul means. That when you greet each other, holy kiss, some people say, well, you're setting that apart from a, an erotic kiss or an unholy kiss. That's not, I don't think that's what he means. I think what Paul means is this. Greet each other distinctly Christian. Now this, 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 this is a serious concern of my heart. I, I've, I've thought about this. When we come back together, how are we going to distinctly do this? We're used to shaking hands, hugging each other. This is going to be a massive challenge. And it's going to be a bigger challenge for some than others because some of you are very touchy people. I don't know other than this. We're going to have to be distinctly Christian. I'm not suggesting that we do things to endanger each other, but our greeting is going to have to be distinctly of followers of Christ. Verse 21. Paul, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Now this verse makes it perfectly clear that one's attitude toward and relationship with the Lord is of ultimate significance. Here's what Paul's saying. This is what he's been saying here for the last several verses. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's saying, if you don't love the Lord, let him be accursed. 
No, in other words, you're, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're, you're not a person who's going to be welcomed and ushered into the presence of God. Accursed means anathema. It's the same strong language you use in the beginning of Galatians. Now, here, here's what I see happening culturally. We all, we all got to be self-focused and make sure we're loving each other. But where's the talk of loving the Lord? We got to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And from that, what flows is a love for the neighbor. Our love for our neighbor is not primary. Our love for the Lord is primary. And out of that flows our love for our neighbor. And they both must go together. You don't throw one out for the other. And then he says, our Lord, come. Man, Maranatha, that's literally what's here. It means come, Lord Jesus, that those who love the Lord long for his coming. Until then, Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And then he does something. Every letter, just, just research this. Every letter Paul ends, except for Romans, he ends, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, or something very similar. This is the only letter he ends, verse 24, with this final statement. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, why does Paul end that way in this letter? You know this, if you stuck with us and worked through 1 Corinthians, this has been a difficult letter. There have been some really hard things, some convicting things that have pressed in on us as we've read it. And it wasn't written directly to us. It was directly written to the Corinthian church who were experiencing these things firsthand. And here's what Paul wants to conclude after saying these very difficult things. I love you. You, you remember that. I love you. And we know just a few verses above this, he longs to be with them again. So here's my final question. Are we relying on the gracious provision of God to love? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Because this love is from God. You bored? You tired of being trapped? I hear the amens, though you're not here. Here's my question to you bored, trapped people. How can you distinctly express the love of God to someone today? <laughs> well, I'm busy. Doing what? Surfing the internet? Let's all just hit the pause button right now and think about how we could love someone today. For some of you, it means you need to love the people you're living with instead of fighting with them. For others, it means to think of someone else. Here, here's one of my fears. This is one of my fears. I'm watching this when I'm out in public. One of my fears of this whole COVID-19 thing is it is further instilling selfishness in people. Look out for yourself. It's absolutely ludicrous that there's no toilet paper. It's ludicrous. Why did we pick toilet paper to hoard? Here's why. Because we're sinful human beings who look out for themselves. We could pick something else to hoard. 
And don't you think for a minute that humanity is not going to do this. Now, here's where we, as followers of Christ, are different. We look for ways to love each other. And we need to look for ways to love each other and to love our neighbors as safely as possible. Here's what I'm saying. We don't lay aside loving others until this is over. We love each other through this. Here's one of the beautiful things that I've heard about over the last several weeks. It's a couple ladies who've been sitting on a park in a carport with one of our senior members who has no ability to listen to this because she doesn't have a computer. She has no one around here. She's alone. And they've been going and sitting on her carport and just talking to her. That's love. So brothers and sisters, as I conclude this message in 1 Corinthians, my question to you is, are you relying on the gracious provision of God to love? Let's pray. Lord, I pray now for my brothers and sisters, wherever they are and whatever it is that they're doing today, that they would seek to give feet to that which they have heard, that out of generosity, on mission, with courage, that we would love. That we would love those around us, that we would love our neighbor, that we would love the world. Teach us, Lord, to be your people and to overcome our fears in the midst of this insanity. Lead us, we pray. Give us courage. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.